0: All right, folks, welcome to this episode of the Jackson Lucas Impact Realty Podcast. Today we had a great guest, Mr. Reginald Reggie Livingston. He's the Senior Vice President and Co-Head of Acquisitions at Acadia Realty Trust based out of the New York metro area. I met Reggie at the ULI Spring Conference in San Diego. We were sitting around a fire, one of those after-party type things, and we started talking. I was like, this guy's a great guy. uh, He's got a great story. Um, from growing up in the DC area to sort of you know accidentally getting exposure to real estate and getting uh, some great mentors along the way, and now being a mentor to folks. Um, so it's a, it's a really good full circle story, and uh, hope you enjoy it. Thanks.
1: All
0: right, Reginald Livingston. Senior by- See you again. Oh,
1: yeah. Nice to see you, Chris. Please call me Reggie. Uh, nice to see you as well, Reggie. I have a one of
0: my best buddies growing up named Reggie.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny. I uh, I, I could tell the the evolution of me getting older. I, when I was a kid, I would say Reggie. People say Reggie. I'm like, yeah, like Reggie Jackson. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it turned into Reggie Bush. Um, yeah, about yeah. <laughs> you know, twenty twenty years later. And I don't know if there's a current Reggie that I say, but most people. Most well, people my my friend's
0: name is Reggie POTUS so you can just say Reggie Podis. <laughs> yeah, like Reggie
1: POTUS yeah, Chris Papa's friend. Yeah, like Chris Papa's friend. Why not? <laughs> uh,
0: so we met at the ULI conference in San Diego. At yeah. Top of a we're at a bar, the fire pit, and hanging out, talking, roasting yeah. marshmallows. Um, <laughs>
1: How was that conference? Uh, it, it, it was great. You know, that was, gosh, that was late April, right? Um, it was well, it, yeah, I don't it, know exactly. Yeah. It, 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 was, it was great. Um, and it's funny how much things have changed since then, right? Yeah. You can kind of look at that as a marker of um, the state of the commercial real estate environment uh, in late April and the state today. Um, it doesn't feel like three months ago uh, or two and a half months ago, whatever it is. But the conference was great. You know, I think we were still in that it's great to be back. It's great to be in person again. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people were doing that. I went to the, the ICSC show in Vegas uh, oh, you cool, did? Yeah, a yeah. couple, couple weeks after too. that. Yeah. Um, and it's just great to be back, you know. Um, I think it's amazing what we as an industry, a company, as a society, were able to do um, remotely uh, when we had to uh, from an efficiency standpoint. And I think some of the the work-from-home policies are a reflection of that, right? In that we were able to do uh, a lot of good, um, but it's no substitute for for being in person, um, particularly in those conferences where you get to see so many people from different regions all all at one time and and sharing and bonding and meeting new people, right? I wouldn't have met you if it yeah. was a you know ULI remote conference or right. something. So. Um, can't put a price tag on that so it was, it was, it was great to be in person and, and great to always share ideas about what's happening out there
0: what have you seen you mentioned it, what have you seen change yeah.
1: between April and now uh, really just interest rates right in the debt right. market um, you know Acadia we can get into all that um, if you want and what we do and how we do it but you know we were incredibly busy um, in the last you know 12 months or so prior to the last two months or so if you will um, almost a billion dollars worth of, of deals in, in different vehicles that we have. Um, and we're still trying to be active. Um, mm-hmm. But pricing has certainly changed uh, on deals because of the debt markets. Um, and whether cap rates have responded to that um, and whether spreads, lending spreads, have responded to that, um, you know, is a little debatable. Uh, depends on product type and depends on uh, a host of other factors, but um, it's definitely changed in that you know people are a little more nervous. Certainly, mm. from a public market standpoint, you know any any stock um, is probably down significantly uh, since since April as well. So, you know, look, that creates opportunities sometimes. So we don't we don't run away from from turmoil or turbulence. Sometimes that creates the best opportunities. Yeah. Um, but I think a lot of people, a lot of the smart money right now is just trying to. Figure out what's happening. It could be another rate hike coming, you know, at the end of the month uh, here, and, and as we sit here in early July, uh, another 50, 75 bips coming, and you know, how's the market going to respond to that? Usually, I hear, "Oh, that's already priced in," until it happens, and then I see changes, and I'm like, "Wait a minute, I thought that was priced in already." So, um, you know, anyone's guess, but um, none of it changes the long-term outlook um, on on how we're thinking about things, but you know, we, we we do have to be responsive in the short term as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, I found some of our searches have kind of been on, like, pause for a second. Mm-hmm. Um, just kind of see what things are happening, blah, blah, right. blah. But then, you know, we're also fully busy, too. Like, so it, it's just... Yeah, it is just kind of like kind of like more of a wait and see ish type of environment, and I've heard yeah. people trying to retrade and, and all that kind of stuff.
1: That, that's definitely happening now. I, I feel like they're happening more yeah. in the you know multifamily industrial uh, than retail, uh, in in that those two sectors were very aggressive uh, in the last you know run up. Um, but it, it you know you talk about you, both can exist. You can be busy and at the same time slowing down. It, I, we feel like that as well. I feel like there's a disconnect between the capital markets and, and fundamentals, right? The capital markets are saying, oh, my God, what's going to happen in interest rates and a potential recession and et cetera. The fundamentals, though, the tenants in our portfolio are talking about how strong they are
0: and yeah. looking for yeah.
1: more space and the whole nine yards. So there is a disconnect um, at the moment. So you, you do have to kind of bifurcate that in your head a bit as you execute build on business plans.
0: Yeah, and on the recruiting side, like the job market's still very, very hot. So, mm-hmm. um, all right, so let's talk about it. So, you, you're at Acadia Realty Trust. Yeah. Um, I'm familiar with them, New York firm. Uh, can you tell the world listening right now? The world's <laughs> listening, Reginald. The world. Reggie.
1: The whole world. Uh, about Acadia. Uh, sure. So, uh, Acadia is a um, publicly traded REIT. Uh, on the New York Stock Exchange. So AKR is a ticker symbol on the New York Stock Exchange. You can find you know, a host of information there. Um, but we are a retail REIT that focuses primarily on um, retail, open air retail. So mm-hmm. we don't do malls. So that's kind of a different, different sector. Um, but open air retail around the country. Um, so call it power centers, uh, grocery anchor strip centers, um, high street retail, urban retail. Um, all open air retail, we focus on, and we basically do it through, through two platforms. Um, one is our what we call our core balance sheet platform, that focuses more on urban. Doesn't have to be all urban, but focuses a little more urban. Um, you'll see that, and it focuses more on our um, identified kind of core markets. So, historically, that's been New York, D.C., uh, Chicago, Boston. Um, A couple years ago, we added the West Coast and San Francisco and Los Angeles. Um, And more recently this year, we've expanded that to Dallas uh, as well with with core transactions. And those are infinite hold, um, more focused on on, on growth and where we think there are opportunities to own for the long term. And then we also have in a separate platform um, a series of, of value add or opportunity funds. Uh, We are investing our fifth fund right now. Um, We've raised about a half a billion of equity in funds three, four, and five. Um, And, you know, on that side of the house, we're using two-thirds leverage, targeting mid-teens returns, so called a billion and a half of deals or so uh, in the fund. And that could be uh, any geography because the goal is to kind of get in and get out at a Mm. three to seven year, you know, depending on the business plan, the capital markets, and et cetera. Um, so it, it makes us, you know, we're, we're unique, I think, in that, uh, from at least from a public reach standpoint, that we can focus on core coupon clipping, safe assets, but at the same time, you know, roll our, our sleeves up and, and execute on value-add or opportunistic investments uh, as well, which frankly keeps it, keeps it interesting.
0: Reggie, I heard that retail was dead. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's not? It's not. It's not. Don't tell me don't, about it. Don't, don't tell my, my family that. They'll, they'll start to get concerned about, <laughs> about our income. Um, you know, uh, there often is a disconnect uh, between headlines and what's happening, right? Mm-hmm. And so the retail is dead uh, headline um, came from a couple of things. It came from the rise of e commerce few years ago, right? This isn't, a, this isn't a relatively new thing. The rise of e-commerce was always true. But when they talked about it then, just go back to pre-COVID for a little bit, when they talked about it then, they talked about the explosion of e-commerce sales and e-commerce sales up 100%, e-commerce sales up 150%. What you would read in the seventh paragraph of that article was it was going from 4% to 6%, or 4% yeah. to 8% of total retail sales. Right. Um, and, and so brick and mortar, um, even when the rise of e-commerce has always been a very important part of, of retail sales, um, what we saw, frankly, in the pandemic, all right, if there was ever a time where e-commerce would overtake you know, stodgy bricks and mortar um, as the preferred retail channel of choice, it would be in the pandemic, it would be in an environment where the government was basically saying, uh, don't go outside unless you really have to, (laughs) right? And so even in the don't go outside unless you really have to environment, you know, depending on the source or the the metric you look at and how you look at it, um, brick and mortar sales were 85, 83, 89% of all retail sales even then. and so the brick-and-mortar retail um, didn't die, was never dead, and I think probably showed its resiliency more than anything uh, in COVID. No one would wish COVID uh, and what happened to um, so, many, so many Americans, so many people around the world. Um, but if you, from an investment standpoint, if you will, the, 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 one of the outgrowths um, that actually benefited the retail environment was it got rid of the weak tenants. that were always just limping along to begin with that probably needed to go BK. Um, They had lost touch with their customer years ago, um, Mm -hmm. but just kind of limped along. So kind of washed that clean. And it also crystallized that people enjoy the brick and mortar shopping experience. They want to get out of their house. it was uh, very much um, a, a surprise to a lot of people, less so to us because we were closer to it and speaking with our tenants more. Um, but even in that environment, um, even to us, some of the, the properties that we bought in secondary and tertiary markets on some of it um, held up extraordinarily well um, because people wanted to shop. They wanted to be outside. Yeah. Um, and, and the other reason it's not dead you know, saying it from the consumer standpoint of their desire, the retail desire, retailer desire as well. What also has become crystal clear over the past five years is that the best way, easiest way to convert retail revenue to retail profit is the brick and mortar store. Um, It is not convenient uh, to, while it may be convenient for you, for me, Chris, to, to have those goods show up at our house. Mm. Um, it brings a lot of the profit out of it for the retailer mm-hmm. um, from a distribution and the cost uh, of getting that good to your house, to your, to your door. So the retailers have to have that e-commerce integration. You know, omnichannel, the industry was talking about omnichannel before it really became omnichannel. I think it's more starting to get there now where they're just trying to be wherever you are whether it be your sofa, the store, or what have you. And so retailers, the long window way of saying, retailers want you in the store as well and are trying to come up with ways yeah. for that value proposition to get you off of your uh, of your couch. And so in that environment where it's more profitable for the retailer to get you into the store and the nature of consumers to spend and want to have those in-person experiences, um, with those, those pieces of the environment, retail is not going to be dead.
0: I personally like do a mix, right? So I, mm-hmm. I just got a,
1: a notification on my phone here that
0: my, a book arrived. It's a book about, about cats. I have a cat. I'm trying to understand this, <laughs> trying to understand the, what my cat's telling me. Okay. I can't wait to read it. Um, so like normally, yeah, I go to like a Barnes and Noble or something like that. And, right. um, but I love going to Barnes & Noble. I still do. And there's not as many of them, but there's sure. like local. There's like, I got my son two books for his birthday from a bookstore. Um, right. And then tonight we're going to uh, to the movies. Um, but it's attached to an open air like mall mm-hmm. or oh, shopping center um, mm-hmm. where they added like a ton of new restaurants and entertainment and all that stuff. So like for his birthday, we went and they had a VR place and it was, it's all attached to this this mall and we went to this VR place. And then we got food at a Shake Shack. You know what I mean? And it's like all these people are hanging out outside and and, um, it's kind of like a community space gathering place. Now,
1: sure. Sure. Which it
0: never was before. It was just this old. Like you said, it was like the, when I was growing up in the eighties, it was like a stodgy mall or like people. I still was in there though. There's still with mall rats walking around. Like <laughs> mall rats walking
1: around. <laughs> yeah. Look, when you, uh, my kids are teenagers now, so, uh, they need malls or those kind of gathering places because they're they're too young for bars. They can't drive and all that kind of stuff. The mall is still a yeah. uh, place. Some of that environment that was when I was a kid as well. But, you know, the mall is, is changing. Or again, the value proposition, right? Whether it's VR or having the right food. You know, one of the things that we're seeing generally in the retail environment, even some of our spaces is the importance of food. All right, what is the anchor? The anchor used to be the largest store that you have there. Sears well, was the anchor. Sears was the anchor, right? <laughs> in those malls or the, the grocery average. store was the anchor. But you know, the thought of what is the anchor, the anchor drives the traffic, right? Apple. In many respects, it's, yeah. you might be three times smaller than every other store uh, in in a mall or in an open air location, um, but make no mistake about it, they might draw three times more traffic than anybody else there, right? And so, food as an anchor is something that I think has become increasingly more important, in part because it's experience, right? You're trying to do something that you can't duplicate uh, at at home, um, right. and while you may be able to pick up shake shack and take it home or maybe even order Uber overeats who knows um, the experience of being there with everyone else and having something to do uh, is something that you can't can't fully duplicate at home so retailers need to lean into that and frankly retail landlords uh, like us need to lean into that as well to create that again that value proposition that gets you off your couch
0: yeah and I uh, yeah it's something to do and I, I it's The big hit out here, at least, Synopolis Movie Theaters. If you've ever not,
1: yes, absolutely get in with them,
0: man. They're they're amazing, (laughs) they're doing great,
1: they're doing great work, (laughs) absolutely.
0: Um, so what do you look for? Like, you're running acquisitions there, co head Mm -hmm. of acquisitions. Like, what do you look for when you're acquiring a property?
1: What do I look for? You know, a lot of it, um, some of it depends on, as I said before, we have two kind of platforms, so the return profiles are different, yeah, for the core platform. I'm looking for um, more kind of stability and long-term growth potential. For the value-add platform, I'm looking for a business plan that I can execute in a you know, few years and feel confident that I could probably sell it to someone uh, for a nice profit who is looking for that, that stability. But regardless of the platform, um, we're looking for good real estate, right? And I think the, the hallmarks of that, the attributes of that, um, don't really change a lot, irrespective of the return profiles of the, of the deal. So we're looking for locations, whether they are living up to that expectation or not. We're looking for locations um, that can be great locations, whether they are or not, for the surrounding community. For, for a shopping center, for instance, um, I was looking at a shopping center uh, nearby, about 30 minutes away, um, that, that we may uh, bid on. I loved the road network. There were many different ways to get to the center. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved the visibility of the center. Um, I could see it from different locations, no matter if I was going directly there um, or not. Um, I loved the layout in the land. I think they're not maximizing it, which is great, um, but I loved the layout in the land um, and the potential of what could be done um, there as well. And then from a tenancy standpoint, I'm either looking for, depending on the risk profile, um, the right tenancy that I think, as I said, creates that value proposition for people to come in. So a mix of good retailers, um, a mix of different uses, right? Call it some apparel, some food, some experience, uh, et cetera. Um, I'm looking for tenants that uh, can pay the rent (laughs) Um, or at the very least, um, if they can't, I want to make sure I'm buying it at a price that I can feel comfortable replacing them with tenants that I think can pay the rent. Um, so the credit profile um, of those tenants I'm looking at. Um, and, and is the current owner missing something? And they're not always are, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's just timing on, you know, it's time for them to sell for whatever reason, and I'm looking to buy for whatever reason. But um, are they missing something? What can be done here? What can be, What can happen here? with a fresh set of eyes. You know, we try to do that with our own portfolio. It's easy to, you know, to look at your own portfolio sometimes and say, oh, we, you know, to make incremental changes. Whereas a new fresh pair of eyes can come in and say, but wait a minute, you should scrap that. You need this kind of tenant here. And this is what makes the best use. And the demographics are changing in this environment. And so let's bring this piece of dirt up to where the demographics will allow now, maybe you couldn't get an Apple before, you couldn't get a Lululemon before six years ago when the when the guy first bought this. Mm. Um, but now you can, based on uh, population trends or migration patterns or income or whatever it may be. So you're looking for that that ability to create more that's there uh, as well. So it's it's a host of factors, uh, frankly. Which also when you study matter. all that
0: all that data, yeah.
1: yeah. Has
0: data become a much more
1: bigger part of your, the
0: process for you?
1: It, you know, it, it really has. And because, you know, there, there, there's so much data out there um, that it could be paralyzing if you don't process it the right way and look at it the right way, right? It should just be, you know, directional, informational. Um, none of it should be dispositive uh, with respect to should we or should we not do something. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no substitute for um, the the qualitative part. You know, is still very important. That's where experience comes in uh, to play. Um, but you know, just as fiduciaries, you'd be a fool if you're not utilizing the data uh, that you have there. That's one of the benefits as we've gotten bigger. Uh, we have you know two billion plus under management now. Is that we we have we can mine a lot of data internally. And so we don't have to read a report that tells us how grocery stores are doing or how the urban market is doing or, or, you know, how a certain sub market is doing. We can look at our own portfolio and say, you know, that and use that to make informed decisions about how we add and how we price risk uh, in different properties and portfolios in the future.
0: Cool. Um, So let's talk about you, Reggie. Were you a kid growing up walking through the mall and say, one day, one day I'm going to own these malls? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> well, how did you get that into it? Like, tell, me, tell me
1: your, your story. Yeah. So, um, so I grew up, was born in D.C., uh, lived there a couple of years, and then grew up in Prince George's County, Maryland, um, mm. about 10 minutes to 15 minutes um, over the D.C. line, D.C. Maryland border. Um, and grew up the majority of my life there in Prince George County and, and it was a great environment you know um, my mom was a, uh, a nurse um, she's uh, since retired um, my father my was a nurse was a nurse too yeah my my father was a physical education teacher uh, he passed about a decade ago but physical education teacher um, and you know it was great I didn't I didn't want for anything you know they they um, really provided uh, a good life uh, in that sense. What, what I didn't realize um, there was all of the potential jobs out there Right, was not something that I grew up with, right? It's like my mom was like, oh, maybe you should be a doctor. Or my dad was like, oh, maybe you can go into education or, you know, at that point, when I was a kid, I thought I was going to the NFL, which was which was you know laughable in hindsight. Yeah. Um, uh, but did you play w- football? Or you just I, I, that? No, I <laughs> no, no, I did play. It wasn't like I totally created that out of my out of my head. But but too many injuries, uh, and maybe maybe more talent was needed too. But too many injuries. Um, but you know, to to use your mall. When I was walking through the mall, I didn't think anything. Right. Right. It wasn't that I. I think if you would have asked thirteen year old Reggie walking through the mall hanging out with his friends who owns the mall I don't think I would have said the government like I think I was sophisticated enough to know that mm. the government didn't own the mall but I guess the point is it I didn't I didn't realize it I didn't think about somebody owning the right. mall and I certainly didn't think of it as a person or a company that I could work for and one day be directing the investments of what what uh, retail or shopping centers should be purchased. And so for me, I always look at that um, as something, as a bridge that I try to, a gap that I try to bridge. And I, I spend a, a good deal of time uh, mentoring young people, particularly young people of color, because I do think that uh, while People of all colors don't grow up, you know, knowing these particular right. industries. Um, I think it's uh, more pronounced the the ignorance of not knowing more pronounced uh, in 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 communities of color, because it's hard to see what you want to be when you don't see it. Right. Right. When there's no connection to it, it feels so far away, and so. Uh, what any
0: specific like organizations or like you just kind of do this on your own or how do you? Yeah,
1: no, it's you know it's a it's it's a little bit of everything. But I would say the thing I'm most involved in is the the Jackie Robinson Foundation. Um, the Jackie Robinson Foundation is an organization uh, founded by Jackie's widow, uh, Rachel Robinson, um, years after he broke the color barrier in baseball, um, and it was about education. You know, mm-hmm. um, Jackie's life in baseball is well known. Outside of that, um, you know, education was a big part, a big proponent of what he thought was a way for us, um, for people of color to bridge the gap, the societal gap, the financial gap, and et cetera. So building upon that, um, his widow, Rachel Robinson, who is an amazing uh, woman, nearly 100 years old uh, and still kicking, um, help rate, put this program together, um, that essentially gives, uh, college scholarships to, uh, talented kids of color, um, and pairs them with corporate sponsors as well. So they can have potential for internships and et cetera. Hmm. I, I won that scholarship literally 30 years ago. um, Wow. That's (laughs) awesome. This summer and, um, have remained involved in that organization for the last 30 years um, and for the last 10 or so, I have been um, on the selection committee for the new scholars uh, for wow. the, the New York region. Um, and through that, um, I've been involved in, in mentoring some of those particular scholars. Um, well, that's so pretty me, it's been, awesome. It's been a full circle, full circle thing. That, that organization um, has meant a lot to me. Um, it's even responsible for some of my real estate knowledge and connections uh, as well. One of my mentors uh, is a, a board member of that group, Marty Edelman um, who is uh, you know of counsellor Paul Hastings uh, here in New York and, and a partner at Fisher Brothers uh, amongst a host of other things that he does. Um, and the, the Marty Edelmans and others of the world have been able to meet through this foundation where, you know, if not for that foundation, it's just harder for me to run in that circle to meet those people, and that's yeah. how opportunities get get created. So um, that that foundation is something that's uh, incredibly important uh, to me uh, through mentoring kids and raising money for it uh, and and the like. Um, that's awesome. So, but you, you have yeah. to be a Dodgers fan, right? They,
0: they make <laughs> a Dodgers fan.
1: <laughs> you know, I grew, up, I, I grew up in D.C., right, in D.C. area. So there were no Nationals when I was growing up. It was just the Orioles. And now the Nationals came in. So I feel like I'm, I'm more partial to, to the Nats than, than not, even though the I wasn't Nats. there anymore. Um, but so, you know, from, I you know I got sidetracked a bit there, but the, 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 since I didn't really know, um, I ended up going to uh, Georgetown for undergrad um, in an undergraduate business school. Um, great school. And a great, big fan of Georgetown um, uh, and, and what, they, what they do and, and how they prepare uh, young people for life um, from the actual education, and the Jesuit training, the whole nine yards. Um, and so I was in the undergraduate business school. I knew that I wanted to do something in business. Originally, I thought I wanted to do something in politics, right? I was just kind of the D.C. bug in me realized Mm. that uh, politics is not necessarily what I wanted to do. I studied finance, was comfortable with numbers. I said, I think I want to do something on the business side. And everyone in in the undergraduate business school when I was there, um, you know, this is kind of pre-tech. So everything was about sales and trading, investment banking or something. I'm like,
0: Mm.
1: none of those really speak to me. Like, it's cool, and you can certainly make a a good deal of money doing it. But um, I wanted something that I could, you know, Feel like I could roll up my sleeves and, and be passionate about, and, and those those weren't it, and so um, I just started networking with people, um, and you know came across real estate uh, as a potential uh, job just from people that I'd spoken to, ended up going to to law school, at uh, George Washington also in D.C. and the thought there was, you know I'm not 100% sure I want to practice law, but I met so many people that talked about. The skill set that they gained in in, in the law, um, and how they utilize that. So I say, okay, maybe maybe I practice law, but but we'll see. Um, and then as I started doing more of my networking, more and more came across real estate people, and I'm like, you know what, this sounds interesting. You know, it's a yeah. business angle, but I can actually see it and touch it. It's not like yeah. buying, you know, a thousand shares of. XYZ stop. It's like right? all fake, yeah. <laughs> right, right. It's not real. It's not real. It's not real. <laughs> um, so that appealed to me, and uh, again, just through through networking, my thought was, oh, I'm going to practice law for a few years, real estate law, and then use that as a bridge to the other side to do business, which I thought may be a little more interesting than 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 the practice of law, or at least. More suited for me. I wouldn't say more yeah. interesting. No, it's you know, more interesting. A bunch of real estate lo- lawyers right. that do. <laughs> You're that, right. It's that, much more that, interesting. They do a lot of complex stuff that that is interesting, um, but more suited to my skill set. I should probably say. And um, I found um, a a small private equity company um, uh, in my third year of law school, and you know, just kind of talked my way into an interview, and and they said, look, you know. Uh, you're you're you just graduated from law school what have you like what you don't really know anything about the law i just like look i don't i don't i'm not coming here to be a lawyer i'm coming mm-hmm. here to be whatever you want me to be yeah. um because it their mission of investing in certain areas spoke to me um they did office and retail companies called urban america um, spoke to me and i said you know what this may could be a mistake If I don't practice law right away, it's going to be hard to get back to it if that's what I want Mm -hmm. to do. Um, But I was 25, you know, no wife, no kids, no nothing. And I just said, you know, I'm going to take a shot. Um, And uh, knock on wood, the shot uh, worked out. Um, And I learned a lot about um, investing. I learned a lot about, you know, the great thing is I did acquisitions, asset management, leasing. I was exposed to all of it. Um, which was a great foundation. I, I interview so many kids today who are like, "I'm an acquisitions guy" or "I'm a deal guy," and, I'm, and yeah. in my mind, I'm thinking, "You don't even know what you are because you haven't, yeah. you haven't done anything yet." Right? And maybe your skills it just are sounds more, sexier. It sounds sexy. It sounds like the thing to do. It's like everyone wants to be a developer when most developers don't don't even make money. Um, so it, it, it was a great training ground for me, and I think it's contributed to you know uh, the success that I've had. Is in part because I think I had a broad-based foundation early on, mm-hmm. um, and I've been able to to ride it ever since.
0: So, I mean, I told you when we met that my first ever real uh, placement mm-hmm. in recruiting was at Urban America. Yeah, Remember? yeah, you did say that, right? Right,
1: right? Yes, absolutely, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Boy, small world. was great. Two thousand four. Um,
0: so I do know, I do know that firm. Uh uh-huh. um, I did at the time. Um, mm-hmm. Like, what, like, yeah. So you were, I mean, it sounds like, I mean, the, one of the reasons of this podcast is to expose people to different uh, career paths in, in real estate. Like, sure. I came out of school, I was similar to you. I didn't, I had, my mom was a nurse, my dad was an engineer. Mm-hmm. I did have some real estate developers in my family, but they were like, I had one, and he, he wasn't a, Recovering an attorney, and the other one like was my grandfather who didn't even you know didn't go to college. So mm-hmm. I was like, well, how do you how the hell do you become that? Or, you <laughs> right? I didn't know, right? And so <laughs> yeah, I, I was right. gonna I was going to law school route too. I was like, I took my LSATs. I was working at a big law firm at Paralegal, waiting to go to law school in, in Manhattan. And uh, I was looked at everybody. I'm like, I don't think this is for me. <laughs> um, but how? So there's a I you know, as a recruiter, a lot of attorneys reach out to me like, hey, I want to get into real estate. Mm-hmm. You helped me get into real estate. Right. Like what did you like what skills like what did you initially do when you got to urban? Like yeah. and w- what skill sets did you have to pick up pretty quickly?
1: You know, a lot of it was particularly early on, um, it's it's modeling and and financial analysis. But mm. I studied finance in in college, right? So I was familiar with Excel. Um, numbers didn't scare me. I know mm-hmm. a lot of attorneys, uh, were, they're petrified of numbers. Um, so that's a difficult thing to do right. if you're trying to make that switch, uh, early on, like when I was doing it in, in the twenties. What I have seen some success is you making that switch later on because someone's going to run the numbers anyway, right? Mm-hmm. And it's more about relationships, uh, and analysis, right? Any, and I don't say anybody can run the numbers because it's very important. Um, But the true skill set in this business um, is building relationships and pulling pieces together of what is happening in the world from macroeconomic environment, commercial real estate environment, any particular sector environment, and bringing that into um, your investing thoughts, knowledge, business plans, and execution, right? Mm. So that's not about, um, do I understand all the functions of Excel? Um, that's really about um, thinking about a broad landscape and kind of synthesizing that information into something coherent, which is something, frankly, that, um, that I feel like the law school uh, taught me, right? You know, whether, yeah. where, I don't, I've never you know, tried a case and because I, I didn't go that route, but the, the broad thought process of communicating, synthesizing a large amount of information and communicating it in an effective way, um, and the writing, all of that, when I'm dealing with investors, sellers, brokers, whoever it is, I utilize that skill set mm. um, every day. And so I say to you know attorneys looking to make that, that, that switch, which many do. Many do it. Many do it very successfully. Um, it's more about um, the value proposition of saying to a company, if you're talking about for a company, is I understand how this process works. And I know all these people and I have these capital sources and what have you. That's how I, I've kind of seen it. You know, I've also seen it more on an entrepreneurial level where, you know, none of this stuff is rocket science. Right? We can make mm-hmm. it all complicated with waterfalls and the whole nine. It's really about buying low, um, selling high, um, and having the right capital structure to withstand the inevitable uh, cycles in this thing. So. Um, it's possible, you know. You don't need to be. You can. You can have a, a law degree, architecture, poli sci. You know, it doesn't doesn't discriminate. Um, if you are early on in your career, you got to know PowerPoint, Excel, and Argus. If you come later to it, you just got to be able to articulate the value proposition of your relationships, capital, and, and knowledge.
0: Awesome, I'm in. Let's do it. <laughs> um, So, how did you end up at Acadia? And I mean, Acadia is a pretty—at least I know them really well. um, You know, prestigious firm. Um, And then, how do you how did you end up being the co-head of acquisitions? And what what does that entail?
1: Yeah. Um, So, I guess the first one: how did I get to um, Acadia? From leaving Urban America, um, I was with another company uh, called TerraMark, a small residential developer in Connecticut. Um, did a couple deals with them, um, rode that kind of through the global financial crisis and stayed there, but we weren't really doing a bunch of deals because we were just, you know, the the whole industry was kind of stuck on some level. Um, And so then, um, you know, one of the relationships, aforementioned relationships from the Jackie Robinson Foundation, um, Marty Edelman, um, through, Marty was a former board member at Acadia, um, our current CEO, uh, Ken Bernstein, used to work for Marty 30 okay. years ago when he practiced law. He's one of those lawyers that, that jumped to the business. Yeah. Um, and so through Marty, um, I had was familiar with Acadia, um, had met um, uh, a friend, uh, Herb Alberg, who's actually the CIO of Urban Edge uh, okay. now. Okay. Um, Met Herb through Marty because a relationship that he had held with Marty and his company as well, um, and Herb called me from uh, uh, Acadia one day and said, "Look, I know from the lunch we had, you said you were looking for something different. Um, we Acadia had just raised all this money uh, for Fund Three, it's so funny that we're on Fund Five now. Mm-hmm. Um, this is back in 2010, 11, and." Uh, I think it's a great environment. You know, we're looking for people who can kind of, you know, find deals and shepherd them through and close them and and the whole nine yards. And I was familiar with Acadia. I think one of the first assets I worked on at Urban America, um, we purchased from Acadia uh, in okay. uh, in ninety nine two thousand or so. Um, and so I I interviewed there and you know um, they knew I knew Marty and that that was helpful as well um, and. You know, 10 years later, still there. Um, and in part because um, I've always felt that I had opportunities to grow, uh, to learn different things, uh, to get increasing responsibility, um, and just working with great people. I was hired by a guy named Joel Braun, who was the CIO uh, when I was there. He has since retired. But Joel was a fantastic mentor to learn from. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, credit him with giving me the opportunity to, to, to be there and working with him and, and our current CEO, Ken Bernstein, or is a, you know, fabulous investor in my mind as well. I continue to learn a lot from, from him. Um, you know, you don't, at least for me, I don't end up at a company 10 years by accident um, right. or because I'm bored or because I'm scared of change or because there's nothing else to do. Um, that's intentional I have no problem you know going from one thing to another if I think it's accretive to where I want to be it's been a choice to to remain there for as long as I have Um, because I believe in the opportunities I've been given but also believe in the company and the culture of the company um, as well and and what it's about Um, and so I've I've had a a great time there to dovetail your question, of what, what does that entail now? My partner, Jessica Zasky and I, Jessica's the co-head of Acquisitions, um, with me, a lot of it is just running the investment platform. So that's one, um, the two of us and, and, and our CEO, Ken, um, kind of deciding, well, what should we be buying? Um, mm-hmm. What should we be investing in? Um, Ken does a great job of saying, like, just because we've always done something, doesn't mean we have to continue doing it, right? And so. We're not afraid to pivot, um, whether it be more of a suburban read into more of an urban retail read, which is a pivot that took place in, you know, before. Um, in our latest fund, uh, we were buying power centers in 2016, 17 through the retail Armageddon uh, mm-hmm. and the like, where people weren't really doing that. Um, I remember people coming up to me saying, why are you guys buying that stuff? Isn't Amazon going to kill every big box? Um, why would you want to buy a bunch of big boxes? Um, and I think history will prove, prove us correct in, in the pricing that we were able to gain on that stuff. Um, so we're not afraid to pivot, and so a lot of our time is spent, um, what should we be buying? How, sh- how are we thinking about retail now? Should we be leaning more into urban? What geography should we be leaning into? So a lot of it is strategy, um, and then putting the right team in place uh, to make sure we can execute that strategy. Um, and then it's also um, the nuts and bolts of, of sourcing deals and analyzing them and closing them. So, um, you know, sometimes it's big picture, what should we be doing? Mm-hmm. But it's also, hey, I got this deal, and I want to bid X for it, and here's why. Um, and then we go after it. And then it oftentimes is also inclusive of uh, eventually putting financing on the asset. Um, and even some asset managing of the asset as well for select assets in our funds.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and then overseeing the disposition of that asset as well. So it's a, a full circle for, uh, for our investors. It's
0: kind of a cool gig, man.
1: Yeah, listen, it's, uh, I, I can't complain. It's, um, it, it's, a, it's a great company. I get to work with great people. Uh, one of our executives there, has fond of saying we have a, a no assholes policy, uh, <laughs> yeah. and and I really I really like that because it um, y- you can do this job, you know. And look, there's you know in real estate there's all these characters and all these stories about people who climb to the top throwing staplers at their employees and all that kind of right. stuff. And yeah, I guess if you want to do it that way, God bless you. But there's another way to do it where you can um, actually you know galvanize people. Um, and get people interested in what you're doing, support them, support their growth, and make that a win-win for them and the company, right? It's the difference between being a leader and being in charge, right? You know, being, being in charge means people have to follow you, <laughs> right? Yeah. Being a leader means people want to. Um, and so we, we try to think about that on a day-to-day basis. And, and what is the, you know, to go back to the term value proposition, what's the value proposition for someone being here? Yeah, we pay them, you should do your job, why do you want to be here? Right. Mm-hmm. And so that's providing growth opportunities, providing learning opportunities. And if you do that in the right way, that's a creative to the company's knowledge and the company's output and the company's performance. So it could be a, a win win.
0: You mentioned earlier about exposure to you know, the Jackie Robinson Foundation. Like, sure. You're a black man. You work in a, you know, I think everyone you uh, you're all your mentors seem to be. Uh, Jewish attorneys, in New York. <laughs> uh, how have you uh, just listed them off? How are you? Uh, I mean, what's as a recruiter? Um, I see it, and a lot of clients now are, you know, pushing diversity um, for a number of reasons some some strictly financial reasons, mm-hmm. and some you know because they want diverse opinions in the room. Um, have you seen a lot of change over the years at all? And
1: I have. Yeah, I, yeah you know, I, I'd say a couple of things. Um, one, just for the record, my, my first job at Urban America, uh, uh, Richmond McCoy hired me, an African-American gentleman. <laughs> in State. So okay. I, I just want to put that out there as well. Um, okay. But no, I, I've been fortunate enough that people of all stripes have, have been supportive of my career, which I, I love. I don't always know why they're so supportive, but uh, well, I'll take it. Well, you seem uh, like a great guy. I, mean, <laughs> well, I appreciate we that. We just sat down at the fire and talked <laughs> for a, a half hour, and I was like, uh, I want to hang it. out with this guy. I'll take it. I'll take it. Tell my wife, uh, as well, how great I am. Yeah, right. So what I will say about commercial real estate is that, is it changing? Yes. I will say that it has been slower to change than some other industries. And so when I came out of school, college in the mid-90s, Wall Street was undergoing a change. Um, And through a a program much like the Jackie Robinson Foundation, um, a program called SEO, um, that I'm also a huge fan of, I didn't go through SEO, I have a ton of friends who went through it, um, that essentially aligned um, talented kids of color with Wall Street firms. Um, I had an internship with Merrill Lynch already through the Jackie Robinson Foundation, Mm -hmm. so um, I didn't didn't have to go that route, but, SEO was, um, you know, diversifying Wall Street, mm-hmm. and, and I, ha- I would say that if you look at the vast majority of the talented executives of color on Wall Street today, if you go back 20 years, they probably went through SEO. Um, wow, okay. And so the thing is, those were often public companies, often large companies um, that were committed to diversity commercial real estate has often functioned away from that, right? It's more old-line real estate families, less large institutions. And so because of that, um, it wasn't so much whether or not diversity was important. It was, you know, you do business with the people you know, the people in your neighborhood, the people at your church, your synagogue, the people in your country club, the people in your network, whatever it may be. And so that has been a harder group, a harder industry to, to diversify uh, over time. I'd say it's behind uh, Wall Street uh, in that regard, um, maybe a little ahead of, of venture capital and technology, which is still um, has a ways to go. Um, but it's trying. And, and one of the things that is because of that is it's become more institutionalized. So a lot of these large companies Are real estate players in and of themselves, and diversity is more important there. Um, I think even with old line real estate families, there's just a a realization that to put the best team on the field, um, a diverse group, you know, if you just look at the the data, um, diverse teams perform best, right? And so if I'm only interested in money and say I don't give a damn about diversity and all that kind of stuff, if I only care about money, I should still care about diversity because that's how you put the best team on the field, right? right? Um, and so I think there's a realization about that that is happening. Um, and look, just to be frank, the, 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 you know, um, what happened with George Floyd uh, in that summer of 2020 um, has, has shined a spotlight on it as well. Um, I'm a part of a group called the Real Estate Executive Council, um, which is commercial real estate executives of of color. Um, and we, talk, we gather and talk about these issues. Like, how do we? Um, that's another group that I'm mentoring young people in um, who are specifically interested in commercial real estate. So, it's a long winded way of saying it's happening, right? It, mm-hmm. it's, it, is it as fast as I would like? Is it as fast as anyone would like? No. Um, but the seeds are there uh, for, for it to happen. The seeds being exposing the 13-year-old Reggie's, uh, which this real estate executive council, which we call Reese, does through programs that they do. It's exposing the college people. Um, SEO, that group I talked about, Acadia is supportive of SEO as well. We have interns from SEO. That's something that they just started a real estate program. Uh, I want to say 2015 or 16. I, I think I have that right. Don't quote me on that. Um, but that was decades behind what SEO was doing for Wall Street. So, some of these things just take time if the seeds are are there. Um so the diversification I think is happening. What what I'd like to see more of is not just diversification and employment, mm. but diversification in capital, right? That's right. really the last bastion of saying, okay, great, we have these employees. But what it's really about is, you know, investing with the pension fund dollars and endowment dollars and those other large institution dollars. Find their way into companies that are led and owned by people of color. Um, that's where I think you're going to see the most impact, the most change, the most wealth created, and et cetera. But it's a process, and so I don't want to don't want to be you know a negative Nancy and say oh nothing's changed and you know things have changed. Um, but it has to be on all of us uh, to to want to continue that process, and continue to change, and and I'm going to play my part in that. And there are a ton of people in the industry um that are playing their part and and so i'm hopeful
0: awesome man yeah i think i yeah it's great um i know every client of ours is trying real hard to hire diverse candidates and Mm -hmm. it's uh, like you said there's not a lot of like there's a scarcity of it too and so it's about getting into the younger folks and exposing them to these different careers yeah and 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 it's also
1: yeah, I think, that, I think that's true. And, but it also, I think it's it's being plugged into the groups um, where they are, right? Because right. they're, they're not easy to find. And so you have to, it, there's two things. There's the pipeline. Yeah, we got to do the pipeline development work. Um, but you know, I would encourage you, to, the real estate executive council has a, has, a, has a ton of executives. Now, it may not be as many. I, I would love for the problem to be um, they're not enough. I'm not sure that they're not enough. I just don't know if they're being found or not. Right. And so yeah. we just we all have to make that concerted effort to make sure that those that are there are on the radar screens and being found.
0: Yeah, I and mean, real estate's always been like an insular, like familial thing, you know. It's Very, much, kind of, so. Very much so.
1: Very much Somebody's son
0: or cousin or friend or whatever. Yeah.
1: And, and that that's why it's been the last group, or one of the last groups to be diversified because it's just the nature of 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 that that relationship and the origin of how those jobs typically are created.
0: Awesome. I just followed the Reese on LinkedIn.
1: There you go. There you go. Check <laughs> it
0: out. Got to check it uh, out. Well, I see you're wearing a sweatshirt inside. You must have the, you have the AC on. I do have the AC on. <laughs> well, it might be cool there, but are you ready for the hot seat? Uh, yeah, sure. I'm ready. is sponsored by KK Reset. KK Reset is an HR management and outsourcing consulting firm that specializes in helping organizations to reset their culture, structure, and path. They outsource it to KK Reset. KK Reset comes in, maybe sits on site a couple days a week and provides, you know, everything you need from an HR perspective for your for your firm. So, it's a great uh, resource for those shops who just maybe it doesn't make sense for them to have in-house HR function. Um, so please check them out at kkreset.com, k k r e s e t.com. I have to take that sweatshirt off by it. the <laughs> It's so hot. Do you have a book or podcast you recommend?
1: Oh, great! Book or podcast? I recommend um, the book. I recommend is Atomic Habits by okay. James James Clear, and it's really about so much. So many times we say, "Oh, I want X," but you just can't get out of your own way. Like, how do I create mm-hmm. the environment to accomplish the tasks to do X? Um, and it's really about not these transformational changes. It's about building step by step. How do you get 1% better? How do you create that environment to get 1% better? And then last, through the execution of the plateau of latent potential, which they call it in the book, which you can read about, but it's essentially how do I continue on the path and create that environment to accomplish my goals, but in a different way than a lot of these self-help books that are like, Oh, you just gotta really want it. It's like I, I really yeah. want it, but how do I lay it out? And so I'm a big fan of Atomic Habits. Habits are the the, the compound interest of self improvement, um, and and I just I just really like that book.
0: You gotta become the person that's able to get that in their life, right? Not yes. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Everything all right? Uh, yep. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> That's okay. That's why something, we have Julio. Something fell elsewhere in my house, um, do you, but do you need I'm to go fine. check it out. Or you good? Uh, hold on one second. babe. I think she's good. Yeah, she, I hear her talking. Or she's under house. a pile. Or stuff. she's under a pile. I'll I'll, <laughs> I'll get to it after this. Either way, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Either tea. way, you win. Okay. Right.
0: Uh, question number two. Do you have yeah. any advice for anyone looking to start out in this field,
1: in your field? Yeah. Um. I would say be open. Be open to, you may have in your head, I want to be a developer, I want to be an acquisition person, I want to be a lender. Be open. Just try to get experience, get into the business, and then that can create uh, opportunities for you. And read, read, read. Read everything you can get your hands on about real estate because what you'll start to do is you'll make connections. You'll read something in the Wall Street Journal. You won't know what it's about. Mm-hmm. Six months from now, you'll see the term again. You'll be like, wait a minute. I think I know what that is. You'll start a job. You'll hear about it at a meeting. You will start to make connections in your brain that form the foundation of your own investment thought, your own investment thesis, your own investment uh, execution capabilities. Um, so read, read, read. I think young people don't do that enough. That's a great advice. I
0: mean, I know for me, like, yeah, a lot of young people. I want to. Yeah, like you said, I want to be acquisitions, but I'm like, oh, you, you can have an asset management. Well, I don't want to be asset management. It's like right. just get in. <laughs> in. Once you get into the club, get in. You can get like in. meet people and move your way right. around more. Right. You know. And Indeed. as far as reading, like, yeah, I started out. I mean, I had no clue about real estate, like, mm-hmm. no clue. And like, I talked to these executives, and they were tell, talking a foreign language to me. You know, it took a right. while to learn the language, and uh, now now it makes a lot more. You know, it makes makes sense to me. But it took a couple years for that. Absolutely. Um. Good answer. Uh, What do you look for when you're hiring someone?
1: What type of characteristics? Great question. Um, I'm looking for proof of curiosity and proof of accomplishment. And so earlier on, it's hard to see that outside of school. Um, The further you get away from school, I don't really care what you did in school, but you know, a year or two out, I'm still looking uh, for, for that. Um, What I'm not looking for necessarily is real estate experience, right? Some of our greatest successes at Acadia have been people we hired um, that I just call I could tell they had big brains, right? None of this stuff is rocket science. And so I'm looking for for proof of success, even if it's something tangentially related uh, to real estate. Um, And I'm looking for curiosity, which I can usually tell in an interview. You know, do you want to really learn, right? Do you want to really find out how stuff works and how it all fits together, those people, that curiosity would drive you even when yeah, exhaustion is present.
0: Well, I don't know if I have a big brain. I have a big head. <laughs> I wear a huge hat size.
1: Ditto. Ditto. So It's
0: crazy. I have to go to like the special section. <laughs> um, now, the name of this podcast is The Impact Real Estate Podcast. How do you I mean, you described this already, but maybe you, mm-hmm. won't, you can summarize it. Sure. How does you and or your real estate have impact on the world?
1: You know, I'll start with, with me. Um, and, and not to repeat myself, but I, I'm trying to have impact um, by opening the doors that have historically been closed. Yeah. That's kind of how I see uh, my role through, through education through mentorship, um, through sponsorship. Um, that's kind of what I feel like um, my role is. Um, and look, I'd love to stretch myself thin and, and, and be devoted to 20 different causes. They're all important, right? Climate change and homeless. And I wish I could do all of that. Um, but there's only 24 hours in a day, and I got a family and two kids and a whole nine yards. But um, I've kind of chosen this path because it, it speaks to me. I was that kid. Right? I was that kid it was like okay I'm doing well in school but I don't know what to do I don't know anybody um, my parents couldn't help me as far as business you know that's not yeah. what their background was so if I can be that bridge to someone um, or some group of people or just be an example I remember reading um, uh, magazine articles about you know successful African Americans and Uh, on on Wall Street, through the Black Enterprise, Top 25 Blacks on Wall Street, or, uh, you know, Reginald Lewis, Why Should White Guys Have All the Fun, that amazing book that I read in the 90s. You know, if I could be an example to people who maybe I'll never even meet, but they are Mm -hmm. here this or read something about it, um, that could be inspiration as well, because it certainly was for me. You know, there are people out there that don't even know they were an inspiration to me. Um, And and so if I can be that uh, on a smaller scale for, for someone, that's... That's how I'm choosing to have impact from a uh, career uh, standpoint, um, and from a real estate standpoint. Look, if we're invested in communities and, and investing in, in opportunities, if I can um, make that gathering place that you talked about with your kid and where you're going yes. to, if I can, you know, play some small part in creating that gathering space um, for a community, for people, for memories. Um, I'd to be a part of that as well.